0: Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we answer your Twitter questions about the thirty and thirty-six Detroit Pistons. Uh, ben Gulker and I talk about the Pistons' struggles on the road, Luke Kennard hitting the rookie wall, and uh, raising teal jerseys to the rafters in Little Caesar's Arena. Blah. As always, we t- appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. (laughs) Hey everyone, welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host Lazarus Jackson. I am joined today by my usual co-host Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing?
1: Doing good. Good to be back at it.
0: Yeah, it's 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 been a while since it's been like the both of us like individually.
1: We've been alternating a little bit. The All-Star yeah. break and then schedules, all that good stuff.
0: Yeah. It's good to it's good to be back where we belong. That's right. So, I guess the, the first the biggest thing that we really need to talk about is the this current status or the future status of Stan Van Gundy as president of basketball operations. Um, Tom Gores was at the most recent Pistons game in, against Chicago. Um, he said in in essence that uh, they were disappointed with the direction of the season, but confident in the job that Stan Van Gundy has done so far. Um, he didn't really give any indication of whether or not Stan would uh, lose either his title or his job at the at the end of the season this has been a flashpoint all year for Pistons fans I think uh, because you know quite honestly Stan Van Gundy is the architect of everything we see and if you don't like what you see you know that's a pretty easy answer as to who's responsible Um, so you've given a lot of thoughts in the last in the last couple weeks about Stan Van Gundy Um, where do you stand on what should be done with him at the end of the season playoffs or no
1: Yeah. I mean, playoffs seem like they're pretty much all but gone at this point. It would take a minor miracle miracle to get there. Yeah. Um, You know, I, I, on the one hand, I would be surprised if anything happens. I, you know, I think more and more I'm inclined to think that Van Gundy probably um, presented Gora's with a a five-year plan. And I think increasingly I would be surprised if anything changes this summer. Um, if it were me and I were to do anything, the only thing I would do is maybe consider um, either bringing on some additional staff with respect to, I, I want to say general manager job titles sort of aside, um, things to do with salary cap, things to do with personnel and player acquisition. Um, you know, if I were the owner, that, that would be the thing that Um, I I see as a bit of a weakness right now, the draft in particular. Um, You know, and there are a lot of fans, though, who would make an immediate change. They want to see Stan Van Gundy, the coach, and the GM gone. Uh, I I don't think that's the right decision this summer. I think it's better for the franchise to have some stability, even though I'm disappointed uh, and a little bit underwhelmed with where we are almost four years into it. Um, I, I would definitely give Stan Van Gundy, the coach, Um, the chance to make this thing work. He certainly stumbled out of the gate after acquiring Blake Griffin, but over the past, I would say three or four games uh, and in particular, the exciting game this week against the Raptors, I saw some things out of the team offense that we hadn't seen since acquiring Blake. We saw, uh, we saw some actual sets being run that worked. We saw a productive offense and we saw guys making shots in, in the flow of the offense. Um, you know, I've seen, you know, our colleague, Michael Snyder, and I've seen Steve Hinson, who, who love to do stuff with, you know, breaking down gifts and analysis and doing all that really in-depth deep dive stuff into the structure of the offense. There's some, there's some good things happening there. Um, so as down as I've been on Van Gundy since the trade, I, I think he deserved a lot of criticism in those first nine or 10 games or so. I've seen some glimmers. You can, you certainly saw it against Toronto. Um, the ball was moving. Players were moving. It wasn't just Blake sort of dribbling and, and trying to create something all on his own. Uh, and I would give Van Gundy the chance to to try to make it work. I mean, I'm I'm still thinking that this is a sub 50 win team and I'm still skeptical about their long term salary profile and ability to add players that they need to take the next step beyond, you know, getting to 50 wins and above. Um but I just don't see it as doing much good to get back on the coaching carousel, you know, where we were at the end of Dumar's tenure where, you know, every year or two you've got some also ran coach coming in trying to coach up a bunch of guys and is gone before anything really takes. So that's kind of where I'm at. It's been a, a rough couple of weeks. I've been sort of a roller coaster, you know, in my own feelings about this, but that's kind of where I've landed.
0: Yeah. I've s I've steadfastly maintained that he should at the absolute least finish out the remainder of his contract as the head coach. Yeah. Um, if he wants to remove himself as president of basketball operations, or uh, if being removed from that uh, title doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, like impugn him so much that he wants to also leave his head coach, you could do that. But uh, I think, you know, definitely the stability that you spoke about at the end of the Dumars era is something that, um, I'm not looking to to go through again. And so I since I don't know, we've talked about some various like replacements as far as head coaches go um, previously, but uh, you it's, it's very easy to look at Detroit and say it's it's no one's first choice. And so would you be able to bring in a coach uh, as with the with the pedigree and with um, the mindset of, of a Stan van Gundy? Uh, if you replaced him and so you know that's that's where I'm at at the
1: very least yeah and I think that's fair I mean I've I've really you know I've been all over the place with with him the last few weeks Um, I'm choosing to take a little bit of hope out of the last two games I mean the Bulls obviously are are terrible and not particularly trying to win and that game was over you know shortly I don't know through the third quarter somewhere I think but uh, I was particularly encouraged by the game against Toronto obviously DeRozan just went crazy Um, we didn't have a stopper and um, we didn't quite pull off a win it would have been a huge upset and a great win but it was a lot of fun to watch and that's kind of where I feel like my expectations have to settle Um, you know it's not going to be a great team even if everything goes perfectly But there's going to be some fun to be had as a basketball fan. There's there's the potential for some some good basketball to be played and some good basketball to be enjoyed. And I think if I can manage to keep that expectation in front of my eyes, I I should be, I think, pretty happy a year from now if everyone stays healthy.
0: I tweeted earlier today that uh, as as a Pistons fan first and foremost and as a fan of the NBA on a whole, it's very uh, easy sometimes to remember or to forget that there are in fact like worse teams than the Pistons. I was watching the, yeah, the, Knicks, that, yeah. the Knicks Raptors game earlier today and the Knicks are just like not good at basketball on occasion. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like, at least at least it's not that bad. Right. I was watching uh Kings nuggets. The I turn it on and the nugget, the Kings are down 25 with like eight minutes to go in the third quarter. It's like, okay, it's, it's bad, but it, it could be worse. It could be worse um speaking of my twitter account uh earlier this week i asked for questions and we're actually going to do a mailbag podcast so these are these are all questions that were uh asked of us on twitter uh, we're super appreciative to the individuals who did that and i'll try and shout you out as we get to these questions uh i'm going to pose them to you first ben and then i'll respond sure but uh the first one the first two actually are from uh vincent haddad on twitter that's at vincent uh, h-a-d-d A.D., Uh, what are Blake's benchmarks beyond which people would stop complaining about his salary? Uh, What would Blake need to accomplish, personal and or team, to eclipse Rasheed in the eyes of Pistons fans?
1: Yeah, interesting comparison to Rasheed here. I'm going to tackle that part first because um, I don't think anyone's ever going to eclipse Rasheed, not necessarily as a player, but just as a personality. I mean, when he got to Detroit, um, I remember being so surprised because— the trade seemed to sort of come out of nowhere, and I didn't know much about Sheed beyond just the reputation. Uh, but I think, along with thousands of Pistons fans all over the place, I realized quickly that he's a fantastic teammate. He was a fantastic teammate, and just a joy to have as part of your franchise. I think of that, um, the Jingle Bells video rap that he did with uh, Max Seal, and I forget the third. I think you know, it was the third was guy, Mike James. Him. But yeah, that's great. Yeah, I like. Just, you know, those moments, the fact that when he's in the building, he still gets the Sheed chant from the crowd. I think he's a completely unique player um, who's just going to have his own place in Pistons lore, and I'm, I'm totally cool with that. But in terms of what happens on the court, I mean, Blake is certainly a much more dynamic offensive player. Sheed much better defensively without any question. Um, but it's all going to come down to winning. Uh, Sheed was a part of, you know, the second greatest era in Pistons history. Um the last 10 years have been pretty much the opposite of that. And Blake has a chance to help, help turn that around. So to me, it's winning or bust. If he's a winner and he's a part of winning teams, um, the fans are going to remember that contribution to winning. And if he's not, um, I don't think we'll remember this era and and the Blake Griffin era as a piston all that much when we're talking about the Pistons 10, 15 years down the road.
0: That's fair. I think what would Blake need to accomplish? Uh, You have to remember that Rashid, was the final piece to a a championship team. And so uh, to eclipse Rashid, you know, you'd have to win multiple titles as a piston with Blake Griffin. I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, that's, that's the answer to your question, Vincent, Um, you know, as unrealistic as that is, but as far as uh, how well Blake could play to eclipse some of the concerns about his salary, um, I think he'd have he'd have to play like a, a top five player because he's getting paid uh, like a top five guy. And so that would be, you know, like that'd be like 27, 10 and six, something like something insane like that, like a LeBron year. And, you know, I also don't think that's going to happen. I think it's much more realistic to kind of pigeonhole Blake in for like 23, seven or eight and like four and five. And, you know, that's still like the Pistons haven't had a 20 point per game score since uh since rip i think in like 2009 and so like having a guy who can give you 23 points a night is still really valuable but uh it's not necessarily value commiserate uh with his salary now that's that's a little tricky um salaries in the nba are also always a little weird there was always the issue of like we're paying you just as much as lebron like why aren't you as good type thing which uh you know, it's, it's an artificial depreciation of LeBron's value. You can't pay LeBron 200 million, which would like what he's actually be worth, which that means like everybody else gets elevated to a level that maybe they're not at. But uh, yeah, I think Ben brought up a good point in that as long as Blake, you know, scores 20 points a game, keeps the ball moving, doesn't, uh, keeps the offense moving and, and they win. I think Pistons fans will be, uh, be pretty happy with, with the acquisition overall. And, you know, Blake uh he turns 29 i believe this week um he signed through his age 33 season and you know 33 is old but it's not like that old for reference lebron is currently 33 like i don't think blake blake ages that uh well but uh it def- there's definitely a, a scenario in which blake is you know he's making 39 million but he's still a, a valuable contributor to a winning team in the final year of that contract. All right, the uh, the next question is from the same guy, still Vincent. Uh, in order, would you rank forecast in consideration for Jersey retirement? Uh, Grant Hill, Rashid, Teshon, and Andre Drummond.
1: Yeah, and we're talking in the context of Jersey retirement, right? Lifting, that, uh, lifting the lifting up to
0: the rafters,
1: lifting the rafters. So to me. I think Tay belongs probably first because of his history with the franchise. I mean, he was a piston, I mean, essentially for life. I mean, the twilight years of his career, he was elsewhere. Um, if you look at the jerseys that are flying from the the bad boys pistons and you compare that to the championship and, and the multiple Eastern conference finals crew, I think you can make a pretty strong case for Tay belonging and being next. Um, I've already spoken of my love for Sheed. He's got a, He's got a place in my heart forever, and I would love to see his jersey flying too. Um, but I'm not convinced he's going to make it. Um, it's, it's kind of a coin flip for me right now, um, but, but I would love to see it. So he'd be my second. Um, I don't think Grant Hill should be flying in the rafters. I mean, he was here for a very short time. Um, had he stayed healthy, I, I think he could have been a top 50 player um, all time. I mean, I think he was that good before he got hurt. Um, and as long as he managed to play after he sort of came back from all those multiple injuries, I mean, his career numbers would have been incredible and he'd be a no question for spell Hall of Famer. But very little of that happened in Detroit. Um, so I don't think I would retire his jersey at all. Uh, and with Andre Drummond, it's just too soon to know. Um, If he stays at Pistons for life and he's a 15 and 15 guy for the next four or five years, it's going to be pretty hard to argue against that because that will be one heck of a career achievement. Um, But I'm not convinced he's going to be around uh, for the next five years. I think the Pistons have to do some things um, to add around Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. It would not surprise me to see him moved um, to build around Blake Griffin as, as much as that, I think would sting a little bit. That wouldn't surprise me. So that's how I'd rank it. Tay for sure. For me, Sheed for sure, but maybe a coin flip as to whether it happens or not. Uh, and then Grant Hill and Andre Drummond. No, as of right now, for Andre, no, definitely for Grant Hill.
0: I think you stole all of my answers. <laughs> no, but uh, Rashid is uh, I think that is a. That's a trick. That's the trickiest situation because he's quite clearly such an important part of a championship team but uh, he had much of a career outside of Detroit that was uh, relatively successful. Um, and so, you know, you run into, like, would, would Portland also retire Sheed's number, right? Like, that, that's tricky, and I don't necessarily know how that would go. But Tayshaun, um, he had the, the bulk of his greatness was, was in Detroit, and I definitely think he deserves to get his jersey retired here. And so I, I would definitely go uh, Tayshaun, Rasheed, uh, Grant Hill, And then I think I would have Drummond like slightly above Grant Hill, but that's because I have the expectation that Andre Drummond will continue to play at this level, at least until he turns 28, 29 and a guy, you know, playing at that level for what will have been eight or nine years um, is worth a Jersey retirement. I think Um, no, Ben, Ben brings up a good point. Andre Drummond might not be a piston forever, um and if, i think if the pistons fail to uh have any postseason success that definitely lowers the chances of of Andre's number getting retired but uh yeah i think i think that's about where i'm at with everything
1: would you retire grant hill's jersey
0: uh no i don't, it, it'd be really tough right i think that's that that'd be slightly lowering the the value of a of a jersey retirement um Grant was like a comet, right? Like he burned right. really brightly, but he burned out quickly. And so,
1: and would it be teal? Would you have to hang a teal jersey? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, that would. Uh, please, God, no. He he played in the old jerseys. I think his rookie year, they were in the uh in the traditional. Yeah,
1: and I think they had some alternates every now and again where they did the throwback.
0: Yeah, so
1: nope. hard to remember all that. We
0: we can we can bury the teal horse forever. Okay. Uh, the next Twitter question is from Sad Van Gundy at Detroit Sad Boys. Well played. Well played, sir. Uh, how can I pin this on Bauer? He's like one of the worst GMs in basketball, right? Seriously, though, look at his history. Bauer is a bad GM. Uh, Ben, is Jeff Bauer a
1: bad GM? Is this his fault? That is such a hard question. Um, because... Like, my gut says he's not a bad GM. Um, there have been some real puzzlers, right? I mean, the the rush to sign Cartier Martin and Aaron Gray on midnight, right, when free agency opens. Um, the failure to move Josh Smith to Sacramento, which I view as a failure, and we don't have to unpack that whole scenario again. Um, the Blake Griffin contract, though, is the one that's going to, I think, seal the fate of Van Bauer. Um, but it's hard to know how much autonomy he has, right? Um, I get the impression that he's the one working the phones, he's the one um, arranging things and then sort of presenting ideas to Stan Van Gundy and Stan is either saying yes or no. That's just my personal read of it. And in that scenario, um, you know, the Pistons have run a pretty tight ship in terms of managing leaks and you you don't see many rumors floating around. Um, So it's hard to know exactly what Van Gundy has trumped and what Van Gundy... Uh, has said yes to and no to And, and we just haven't heard about um, So I wouldn't say he's a bad GM I, I would say he's taken Some odd risks um, Probably In a scenario where he feels like Detroit Isn't a destination so you go overpay For Jody Meeks you go overpay for Langston Galloway um, you sign Guys like Cartier Martin because You don't want him to slip through because You know if they get a, a higher offer or Maybe even a slightly lower offer they go somewhere Else um, but you, you also have to think about where was the franchise five years ago. And although we haven't seen as much winning as we've wanted to, uh, the team is better now than they were five years ago if everybody's healthy. So it's hard for me to say a GM who did that is a bad GM. There have certainly been some, some bad moves, um, and, but there have also been some good moves. And until the Blake Griffin scenario plays out, there's just really no way to know. Um, because if they somehow manage to attract uh, a really solid free agent who pushes them above thirty wins or fifty wins, excuse me, or if they manage to turn some nickels into quarters, as HypnoWheel talked about it, and and upgrade incrementally at two positions, and all of a sudden you're looking at a fifty-two to fifty-four win team a year from now, um, is is unlikely as I think that is. It's still very possible, and so I would I wouldn't judge Van Bauer completely until the body of work um, is available to us. And that's going to be a little while yet.
0: So Jeff Bauer was before he was the GM of the Pistons. He was the general manager of the uh, new Orleans slash Oklahoma city Hornets back in that, yeah. uh, in that early two thousands period. And he did a really uh, interesting and thought provoking podcast uh, with Adrian Wojnarowski in 2016. Um, that I would highly encourage people to to listen to um, about how that team was kind of put together and how they gelled and how the, the situations um, surrounding their circumstances with regards to um, their movement uh, from New Orleans to Oklahoma City and back. Um, I, I think it's looking at what Jeff Bauer does, did in the past and does now I think he has definite strengths and weaknesses. Uh, a strength of his is uh, assembling um, veteran talent uh, into uh, a cohesive unit. Um, a weakness of his, I think, is definitely draft evaluation. And so uh, with that in mind, I think it's about what you prioritize, what you want to see in your general manager. Um, if the Pistons were a little bit closer to being a, a championship contender, if the Pistons were uh, Toronto or Boston instead of uh, where they are right now, I think the, uh, his, his uh, inability to draft extremely well would play out a little bit differently. Um, if, the, if there were more wins, I think people wouldn't necessarily be concerned about that type of thing. And so, yeah, you can you can definitely lay some of the blame at Jeff Bauer's feet. Um, I think that's something that gets lost in the uh, in the Stan Van Gundy needs to go discussion very often is that, you know, there is, in fact, a general manager um, stands the head. But like they do have a guy who's like focusing on all these things during the season. And so, uh, yeah, you can you can lay some of the blame in his feet. Um, all of it. Probably not. No. stands the guy.
1: Well, and, you know, too, I wonder, th- there's just a, if a, a couple different breaks go a different direction, this is a very different conversation, right? So um, what if Stan Van Gundy had figured out a way to utilize the strengths of Boban, right? So not every single game, but in the nights when it's advantageous, you don't have $8 million sitting on the bench. What if Stan Van Gundy had figured out the way to help Langston Galloway take the next step? Right. What if um, they had held on to Spencer Dinwiddie for one more year and were a little bit more patient? All of a sudden, Spencer Dinwiddie looks like one of the best second round draft picks the Pistons have ever had. Right. So there's there's an interesting dynamic here that you you don't completely avoid, even when you have the coach and the president being the same person, um, because you've got guys who are being compensated as if they should be key cogs in the rotation. This year it's Galloway and and Boban, who the coach doesn't play, right? So that has to be on Stan, both as the guy who oversees personnel acquisition and the coach, even if Bauer is the one encouraging to make those sorts of decisions, right? So I just can't, can't lay this, as you said, all at the feet of Bauer because Van Gundy really, he holds all the cards, right? He's the coach and the president. So he gets to make a whole lot of important choices about how this pans out.
0: Right. I think, uh and if you just want to say that they didn't navigate uh, the summer of 2016 and the cap jump very well, I think you can point at a lot of other GMs who also did not uh, navigate that situation well. And that is not necessarily uh, a reason to call them a good or bad GM. I think um, the league was kind of just drunk with money in that summer and a lot of teams are still paying the price right now and the Pistons are one of them all right uh, the next question comes from fire SVG at uh, Galladay inn that's pretty cool are the Pistons road struggles a result of no Reggie Jackson or mental issues
1: boy a whole lot of options there huh <laughs> um I mean, so the Pistons' road struggles are not uncommon for a team of this caliber. I mean, almost, I mean, pretty much every team in the NBA is going to be worse on the road, but especially those teams that you sort of think of in that um, five to 10 range of both conferences, right? You're, you expect them to be better at home and worse on the road. And I think as a fan, it's pretty easy to think it's a mental toughness issue. I'm telling you, man, I I played basketball at the the lowest, smallest levels in college, and even that is extremely demanding. These guys are on the road. I mean, the the six-game road trip, I think, is happening next, if I remember right. That's a brutal schedule. They're gone for like 10 days from hotel to hotel, sleeping in a different bed every night, eating in different places, playing in different gyms, and trying to put out their very best product for 48 minutes in six games over ten, 10, days on the West coast in a different time zone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I just think it's a lot harder than people realize to, to pull off a successful uh, road schedule. So I wouldn't call it mental. Um, I think not having Reggie Jackson obviously hurts everywhere. Um, but certainly you can, I think, make the case that Reggie, at least prior to Blake Griffin arriving was the guy, especially late in games. So any of those close road games, yeah, maybe you can make the case that Reggie, um, Reggie's absence has been pivotal there, but ultimately, I just I wouldn't expect anyone other than the very best teams in the NBA to be consistently good on the road. And so I kind of have to punt and say I don't think either of those reasons are necessarily the cause for road struggles. I think it's just the nature of being that team that's, you know the 40 to 45 win range. These guys are human beings. and, and when things change and are not consistent from day to day, that can affect any of us, no matter how good you are at the game of basketball.
0: So if you made me pick between those two things, I will say I think it's the, the absence of Reggie Jackson. Um, another thing, if you ask me what I really think, I think it's partially scheduling. Okay, so we're going to go back and look at the last couple away games for Detroit. So it's at Cleveland. That's a game that uh, you're probably not going to win. At Miami, that's a game you needed to win. And uh, Andre and Blake both played really well in that game. But I think having Reggie Jackson would have made a difference. Absolutely. Um, at Orlando, that was a loss. That was inexcusable. Um, you don't, you shouldn't need Reggie Jackson to, to make that happen. Um, at Toronto and at Charlotte, that was a back-to-back. Um, Toronto at home is fairly invincible this season. Um, Charlotte, that was just an inexcus- inexcusable effort. I'm not sure if Reggie Jackson makes a difference there. Um at Atlanta before the all-star break, that was, that was again, uh, that was just really bad effort. I don't know if Reggie Jackson having, I think having Reggie Jackson makes that game a little bit easier to execute some offense down the stretch, but uh, that's not necessarily like a game changer um, in that way. And so I think the Pistons do really miss Reggie Jackson. um, And I think that they've also played a fairly uh, tough schedule on the road these last bah, 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 three weeks, four weeks, something like that. And so uh, if I think it helps to have a, a ball dominant guard who can score in, in close games on the road and the Pistons currently don't have that. Um, as we saw, you know, down the stretch in Orlando, they can't score at all in, in overtime and the game shouldn't have gone to overtime anyway. Uh, so I don't think they're. I don't think they like mentally like choke in close games on the road, and they don't do it at home. I think it's just that um, they don't have necessarily the the de facto uh, thing you turn to on the road uh, necessarily in the NBA. So yeah, I think.
1: Yeah, and I think one of Sean's points, uh, if you follow the Detroit Bad Boys Twitter account, is a is an important point here. The reality is defensive. Is- get a lot tighter in the last three to six minutes of NBA basketball games, especially when it's close. And as much as Ish Smith has been a competent backup point guard for the Pistons. Um, that's a real problem. Uh, when the games are close in the Pistons and you to score in the final few minutes, because he's just not an option. There aren't as many transition opportunities and he just doesn't have the ability to score consistently on his own. So, they certainly miss Reggie in those moments, but I think it gets amplified a little bit by the the fact that there isn't a different option other than ish. Right. I mean, there is no third guy to go to. I mean, um, Benno was good for the Pistons a season ago and gave them a guy who could at least hit open jump shots this year. You're almost playing four on five uh, when you're playing with ish in the last few minutes. And that's really tough. And I don't mean that to disparage ish because I think he's won a lot of people over. Uh, with how hard he plays, but he just doesn't have the ability um, to score the ball consistently. So defenses can essentially forget about him. Um, and for those games where, if you go through the schedule and there's close road games, I think that's something to keep in mind.
0: He has he doesn't have the skill set uh, that's conducive to scoring in close games, um, and I think that's important to remember. Next question is from uh, F. David at King David VI. the Sixth. The Six is in uh, Roman numerals. Um, what's up Francis how you doing uh why didn't you guys not attack more why didn't you attack more inside when the Cavs had minimal rim protection uh 39 field goal percentage against a shitty defensive team um yeah I got I got nothing for that one Larry Larry Nance Jr. was like everywhere in the first quarter and I really thought that just like flummoxed the Pistons uh so much that uh they just didn't attack inside. Um, Andre also was in foul trouble that game a little bit, and some of those fouls were uh, not exactly the uh, the level of contact I think he's used to getting away with. And so I, I definitely think that had an impact on that particular game.
1: Yeah, and I mean, my question would be to, re- to just respond with a question. Who's going to attack? I mean, the Pistons essentially have Blake Griffin right now who can – Get to the rim consistently. I mean, Ish can get inside relatively consistently, but he's not doing it to score. So you've got Blake Griffin, and everyone knows Blake Griffin's the only guy who's going to be able to get to the rim. And let's face it, that matchup against LeBron, in spite of the fact that I think Blake put forth a really good effort and was productive, that was a tough matchup for him on both sides of the floor because LeBron is certainly his equal physically, right? I mean, he's not. Blake is not quicker or faster than LeBron, and he normally is quicker and faster than the guy he matches up against. And he had to put a great deal of effort forth defending LeBron, who is still the best player on the planet. So I guess my question is, who's left? Who, who would have attacked the rim? Who would have tried to exploit the Larry Nance, LeBron James front court? I don't think the Pistons really even had a player who was capable of of doing that in addition to the good points that you raised last yeah, year.
0: Yeah, the Pistons were in that Cleveland game for a half. And then uh, LeBron came out in the third quarter and hit uh, two or three just uh, ridiculous three point shots that, like, if he hits those, like, it's just not your night. And from there, everything snowballed. And so, uh, again, I don't think the Cleveland game is a game you expect to win, but uh, that was definitely something you might have been able to leverage into a win that just didn't happen. And You know, we've said that a lot lately. All right. Next question is from Brent Shotwell, Brent underscore Shotwell. Uh, How is Luke Kennard, who was drafted to help with the team's shooting woes, which continue, and who has shot the ball well for the Pistons this season in limited opportunities, not able to get on the court for 20-plus minutes a night? It's ridiculous. Ben? (sighs)
1: So this is a sore spot for me. Um, I don't remember. if It it must have been the Toronto game where – one of the sideline reporters talked about this if you were watching it on Fox Sports. Um, the comment was something to the effect of Van Gundy saying that he felt like Luke had sort of hit a rookie wall and he wanted him just to sit down and watch NBA basketball for a couple games and, and regain his mental focus. Um, it 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 was super aggravating to me as a fan to watch him get those Um, essentially three did not plays in a row. He got three minutes of garbage time in one of those games against Milwaukee, but then two consecutive DMPs, um, for all of the reasons that you just laid out, um, productive young player, the Pistons need shooting. He does those things. Um, but he's also struggled, uh, and, and it's fair, I think to point out, and someone pointed this out to me on Twitter, he does look like he hit a little bit of a rookie wall. His shooting has fallen off a little bit. I still like him. I still think he's got a good future. Um, but I, I do think the fact that Stan Van Gundy did this intentionally because he believed there was a rookie wall, um, makes it a little bit easier for me to stomach, uh, that it did while it was happening. Once I heard that interview, I sort of braced myself a little bit, went back and looked at the numbers. Yeah, he has been shooting the ball a little bit poorly. Maybe he has been hitting a rookie wall and, and maybe Van Gundy, was right to give him a little bit of time on the bench to sort of gather himself and, and remember what he needs to do to be an effective NBA player. That said, now that the the playoffs are a pipe dream, I don't think there's any reason not to give him consistent minutes. And he has gotten consistent minutes, especially in the absence of Stanley Johnson over the last two games. So certainly something to think about the next, what is it? 15 games left, something like that. Luke Kennard should be getting time uh, because I think he's an NBA player and he needs minutes.
0: So, uh, after the All Star break, Luke uh, he attempted total. He attempted three shots against Boston in 17 minutes. Uh, no shots in garbage time against Charlotte. Um, four only four shots in 16 minutes against Toronto, and then he started sitting. So I think what I saw and what I also what I also think Stan Van Gundy saw because I saw it was a definite uh, reluctance from Luke to. To be an aggressive offensive player, um, he was getting shots that he needs to be able to take for the Pistons' offense to flow. And uh, for whatever reason, those shots he just he, he was he wasn't even taking them, uh, which is a huge issue for a team that has struggles on offense like the Pistons do. And so I I saw it and I advocated like, hey, like if if he's tired or if uh, he's hit the rookie the quote unquote rookie wall or if he's just not confident in where he is anymore, then yeah, you should play Langston Galloway in over him because the Pistons need a guy who's going to take those shots and, uh, and have them go in at a reasonable rate. And you know, that's, where, that's where Langston comes in. Langston, if nothing else, will take those shots. Um, as for the future of like where Luke Kennard uh, is headed um, and as to why he was drafted... Um, I think Luke Kennard definitely has a place on this team in the future. Um, I think Stan, I think I just think back to uh, a combination of like JJ Reddick and Stanley Johnson, where like Stan is really hard on his rookies, but he has, he's really hard on you because he, uh, he has high expectations of, of your ability. And I think in the long run, that makes guys better and that makes, I think that'll make Luke better. But in the short term, I think it will lead to frustrating things like only playing garbage time against uh, a couple teams, and uh, well, and you know after this, Luke was in the starting lineup against the Raptors, or against the Raptors. He was he was he was in the starting lineup uh, earlier this week, and so it's not as if Stan Van Gundy has like totally lost all faith in Luke Kennard as an NBA player it's that I, I think he noticed that Luke Kennard, you know, wasn't playing well for a week and a half and, you know, sat him down to try and uh, not make the problem any worse before it got better. Okay. Our final question is from uh, Nadim at Nadim NBA. Uh, knowing they probably start next year with Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson, what current players fit well with them? which do not this is a really good question by the way thank you nadim
1: it is a good question yeah very good yeah so reggie bullock fits right uh, pistons got him for one more year uh luke Kennard seems to fit I, I particularly like luke and reggie bullock off the ball i i think they have the potential to feed off of uh, a reggie jackson blake griffin dominated offense pretty well because they can both shoot and they can both move well without the ball i continue to like ennis um I think he obviously can shoot the ball. Um, and I think he's he's a solid defender. I would say solid, competent defender. Um, the guy who's the question mark, not in terms of it, can he be a piston or not, but but where does he fit in the rotation is Stanley Johnson. right? So we've got four wings. I like things about all of them. Kennard, Bullock, Stanley, and Ennis. Um, the question is who starts and who doesn't to me. Uh, I don't think the Pistons necessarily um, need to start Stanley Johnson anymore, I guess, um, b- because he just can't shoot. <laughs> if if um, if Stanley develops into a 35% three-point shooter, this is a very different conversation. But if he doesn't, I like him so much better on the second unit, um, trying to get out in transition and trying to put the ball on the floor, because I think those are two things he's good at. And then, of course, his defense – I and mean, we've almost taken it for granted. He's obviously a very good defensive stopper. Um, but I think the Pistons, if you're going to start those three guys, if you're going to start Reggie Jackson, you're going to start Blake Griffin, and you're going to start Andre Drummond, you have to have shooting at the two and the three. There's just no question about it. There's no way uh, to run a productive offense without shooting. So um, the thing that's going to be tricky is how do you retain all four of those guys if that's the direction you want to choose to go? Um, because the Pistons, they're going to be they're going to be able to go over the cap to retain all of those players, but they're going to have to start worrying about things like uh, the hard cap. Um, there's there's going to be numbers they can't exceed. So, uh, assuming Van Bauer sticks around after next season, if their contract gets renewed, they're going to have some work to do. Um, because it's not just as easy as saying, "Well, which players fit these three starters?" It's which players fit that we can actually retain and acquire in the context of the current collective bargaining agreement. And it's going to require some creativity because Reggie Bullock's going to get paid um, after next season. Ennis, I think will probably uh, command a fair bit on the market. Um, Kennard, we don't have to worry about for a few years, but Stanley's going to get paid too. um, In spite of his offensive limitations, he's very valuable, especially in the right lineup for his defense. Uh, so the the important question is how do we retain guys who fit not just um which guys do fit because i think that's fairly obvious you want guys who can shoot the ball and move without the ball the question is how do we make the numbers work
0: for me uh i think you hit the nail on the head as to as far as which which wings you want to surround that uh that three-man core with um currently i i think that uh if, if you like made me the coach, I would make the starting lineup, um, Reggie when healthy, uh, Luke, uh, Bullock, Blake and Andre just attempting to surround, um, Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin, which with as much shooting as the team can muster. Um, and as far as in the, in the off season, I think what current players fit with them, uh, I really I really think Stanley Johnson can uh, turn into a a average a league average three point shooter which would be just more which would be better than where he is right now and would would just make him such a a valuable NBA player uh, if he could just even be like you've said a thirty five or a thirty four percent three point shooter over the course of a season um, but when when I see this question I think about uh, what players fit uh, Alongside them, and I also think about what players fit kind of behind um, uh, core Reggie Jackson, Blake Griffin, and Andre Drummond. I think right now what we're seeing is that um, Ish Smith is a capable backup point guard, but one that, uh, if pressed into starting duty, does not have the, cap- the the capability to to run an efficient NBA offense. And so I would heavily uh, advocate for looking at potential trades for Ish Smith during this offseason to get um a point guard who would be a another backup, a backup level guy, but a guy with the the a skill set that fits better uh, around Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin and and the wings that you mentioned. Um I think about uh a 4 who would either uh enable Blake to play some small ball 5 with some lineups and splice the floor that way. Or uh, a four who can uh, get out on the perimeter and defend um, other wings. I'm mm-hmm. thinking of a like a small ball four. Um, John Luehr, who has kind of been a forgotten man this season, um, can sort of play that role. I think with Blake Griffin, um, I don't think he can get out there and defend wings, but I definitely think um, if you have a, a front court of he and Blake, um, that's a very like nebulous kind of positionless thing about who's the center and who's the power forward. And, and that can work offensively with the, with the spacing a lineup like that we can provide. Um, Anthony Tolliver is not guaranteed to be here next year. He's on a, he's on a one-year deal. Um, Henry Ellenson, as, uh, as much as I would like for him to be further along in his NBA career, uh, he just does not seem to be, um, he does not seem to be ready for, uh, for that kind of uh, coaching commitment from Stan Van Gundy. And so um, I think about, uh, another backup center as well um, for for when you want both of Andre and Blake off the floor at the same time. Um, obviously, Bobon's no longer a part of the team. Um, Eric Moreland appears to be a a fine third slash like two point five center on the roster, but uh, you know, ideally, you would like someone like an Ed Davis or a uh, or even an Aaron Baines, uh, where he's willing to come back that uh that would you know come in and uh be a little bit better defensively and a little bit more aggressive offensively when when uh, andre when neither andre nor blake are in the game and so it's going to be really difficult for the pistons to acquire those type of guys with the extremely limited uh, cap space that they have this off season however as we've seen uh the bulk of what the front office has done to restructure the team has come through trades and so i definitely think that there is a a uh, scenario in which uh, at this time or at the beginning of the next offseason um, neither ish smith nor langston galloway uh, nor james ennis nor anthony tolliver are pistons and and the and the pistons as a whole are are more constructed around uh Reggie Jackson Andre Drummond, and Blake Griffin, and they're all and they're still also like not luxury taxpayers. I think that's possible um as far as like how that would happen. I would have to dig into the salary structures a little bit more. I've got my spreadsheet and everything. I'd have to give you guys another uh basketball and balance sheets piece, but uh yeah, I think so you you just need shooting and defenders, and you need guys who can uh come in. and and space the floor and play effectively even when those three guys aren't on the court ideally and i think that's what you're looking for in a team around uh, reggie jackson blake griffin and andre drummond
1: and unfortunately you're looking for the same players that everyone else is looking for those guys who can shoot and defend right the three and d guys so blake griffin as a small ball five is an idea that i think we should keep in view because it's It's another part of the reason why I think Andre Drummond might be shopped more actively. So think back to the Cleveland lineup. That I mean, Cleveland was forced to throw it out there because of injuries, but structurally it's not all that different from what they might do anyway. And that's um, Larry Nance and LeBron at the 4-5, and where in crunch time you might also see Kevin Love and LeBron James, right? Boston can do some similar stuff, although Horford is more of a traditional five than than like a Kevin Love is. But I anyway, long way of saying you can imagine lineups where in the playoffs in the last six minutes of the fourth quarter, you could see Blake Griffin and maybe even a Stanley Johnson, right? Because Stanley has defended LeBron fairly well over the over his young career. So you could potentially see a Blake Griffin, Stanley Johnson, plus Uh, Reggie, Kennard, and Bullock or something along those lines. It's not something you would do 20 minutes a night by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But it might be something Stan Van Gundy has in mind when you look at the rest of the shape of the Eastern Conference. Um, Again, not something you do for big minutes, but something you might feel like you have to do. Um, if winning in the playoffs is your goal, and, and hopefully that is the goal, so I, I would encourage people to keep that in mind. I think Blake as a small ball five in crunch time might actually be a bigger part of the game plan than we've seen so far.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a great way to that's a great like playoff series move, right? When you when you cut down the rotations and uh, you are just trying to play your best players for uh, forty plus minutes a night, I think that is definitely where you'd see a situation like uh, like that arise. and You know, I agree with you. Um, As far as Andre Drummond being traded, I'm not sure about that. Um, I'd struggle to just, I really just struggle to envision uh, on one hand, like an equitable return for Andre that someone would be willing to part with. And and on the other hand, uh, what this team would look like with uh, Willie cauley Stein as its starting center, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) so it's just, that's you know that's difficult for me to envision.
1: Uh, you pulled that name out of nowhere. That was not the name <laughs> I was expecting. I was expecting like a return of Ed Davis or something like that. Will they call Stein though.
0: okay. uh that's all the questions that we got this week. Thanks everyone who uh submitted them. We really appreciate them. Um, this week is the beginning of the big six game road trip, like you said. uh the Pistons play at Utah, at Denver, and at Portland this week. Uh, ben do the piston win any games this week
1: oh man it doesn't feel good to me it really doesn't they've been they've struggled so much on the road that uh i'm not feeling very good about this. i
0: week. will say reggie practiced today i believe he did not do five on five work um but he did practice and so they expect to get him back sometime during this road trip Um, maybe towards the end of this week or maybe towards the beginning of next week, I think. So uh, the Pistons, if the Pistons can steal one of these games against Utah or Denver, um, I think that'll make for a good, a good road trip. Um, Portland is playing supremely well right now. Uh, Damian Lillard's just like a ball of fire. And so, yeah.
1: And the, they have no answer. I mean, they normally don't have an answer, but they really don't have an answer for yeah. that right
0: and now. And so I, I highly doubt they're going to win that game. But, uh, you know, there's a world in which uh, Utah goes sclerotic uh, for, with their offense and uh, the Pistons win like a 97-92 game that looks like it came out of 1998. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, this, this has been fun. It's been good to, to do this with you again, Ben. It's been a while. Uh, it's good to have you back.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And thanks again, Echo, thanks for the questions. These were awesome questions. They were fun to talk about. All
0: right, so uh, the next time we do a mailbag, the next time we do one of these things, you guys can tweet at Ben. Um, Ben's at is uh, at br Gilker on Twitter. He's, be- he's become BRGilker. a lot more vocal uh, since he started doing this podcast and he started sharing his thoughts and I, I see them more. <laughs> and it's always, it's always good to get uh, that, that valuable perspective from your co-host uh, during the week. And uh, so I appreciate you, uh, you coming on, Ben. Um, I'm at Lazarus Jackson at last chance at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E on Twitter. I'll probably, you know, be tweeting during the games and we'll continue to solicit questions and input and thoughts from you guys about the, uh, the Piston season. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we will talk to you next week.